Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, Frankie Kazarian. And now, here is your host, Rob Paspani. It's Rob back for another edition of the Squared Circle Pit. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. And I'm really excited. I got a ton of stuff. I got Frankie Kazarian from Ring of Honor, formerly of TNA. A lot of fun stuff to talk to him about. The guy's had a 19-year career. And the dude is a metalhead. We talk about how he likes metal. He's gone to shows with Bubba Ray Dudley. Talks about dudes he talks metal with. Talks a little bit about his career. Some highlights, some lowlights. And we talk about his band, Vex Temper. And a little later on, I'll be playing their new single. Uh, great bunch of dudes and, and frankie was a really nice guy it was awesome to talk to him it's been an interesting week in metal a busy week uh we have a fast lane pay-per-view and fast lane to me was kind of a meh uh, i didn't i didn't hate it but i can't say i loved it the main event was not even really a main event i guess if there's one thing to say about it is at least kevin owens didn't look like a total jobber because he had the out that chris jericho distracted him uh, as for the rest of the card, pretty unmemorable. I guess Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman actually had a pretty cool match. Didn't understand why Roman Reigns won, but whatever. Otherwise, it was a pretty forgettable show. I did see some of the New Japan 45th anniversary show, and the Okada versus Tiger Mask W match, was of course, Kota Ibushi the Great, is absolutely worth going out of your way to see. That'll, in fact, be my match of the week. And uh, before we get to the interview with Frank Kazarian, and we have a lot of stuff that we, we cover in the interview, I want to send a special thank you to the fine people at High Spots. High Spots is a fantastic website for all your pro wrestling goodness. And uh, they have a lot of great stuff on there. You know, And they actually sent me uh, five... PWG DVDs. If you know Squared Circle, but you know I rave about PWG, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla out in LA. Some of the best wrestling. They sent me these five DVDs, and I want to send them out to you, the Squared Circle Pit listener. And the DVDs they sent all have a, a, a metal or music-related title. They got Lemmy, which was from earlier, uh, from last year, and the main event was Roderick Strong versus Chris Hero, which was an awesome match. And there was also a Akira Tozawa over Zack Sabre Jr. match on there worth checking out. Then they sent over Bowie, also from last year. And the main event of that was Roderick Strong versus Drew Galloway. And uh, lots of cool stuff. Album of the Year, Guitar Mageddon, an old one featuring Super Dra Dragon and Kevin Steen. And Pro Wrestling Gorillas Dio, which also fit. Kevin Steen, Brian Kendrick, Paul London. Lots of cool dudes on here. Chris Hero. So five DVDs I'm giving out. If you want to win, I want the way to win. It's simple. If you go to metalinjection.net slash squared circle pit, on every episode, there is a speak pipe widget where you could leave a voicemail that's about a minute and a half long. I want you to cut a promo on me and the squared circle pit. You need either a computer mic or you could do it from your phone. Cut a promo, and the best promo will win all five DVDs. If there is a good, you know, if there are good prom two good promos, two great promos, 
I'll split it up somehow. I'll figure it out. But that's the way to do it. And if you want a great deal, definitely check out the High Spots Wrestling Network. HighSpotsWrestlingNetwork.com. They have every PWG show, CZW. They have a ton of shoots, a ton of RF video shoots, even the obscure ones like with Dirty Dick Slater. Lots of cool stuff, and it's only $9.99 a month. It's a fantastic video network. They actually gave me full disclosure. They gave me a free year subscription, and I have been diving in. There's so much to watch. So if you're looking, if you got $9.99 burning in your pocket, definitely check out High Spots Wrestling Network. That's enough. Talk it for me. We're going to talk to Frank Kazarian. And after the interview, I'm going to play his band, Vex Temper. Here's Frank. Now entering the square circle pit, we have a prof- the first professional wrestler on the show. I'm very excited for this one. Frankie Kazarian, noted metalhead. Thank you for doing the show, Frankie. Thank you for having me, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I first noticed... Uh, a few years ago, uh, when you were still with uh, TNA, that you would have your tights. You came out as Kaz, and you had your logo, the K and the, the KAZ as like the Metallica logo. And then yep. Was, you yeah, had... that was. No, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, that that was my uh, my early uh, early uh, idea to kind of wear my. My, my metal love on my sleeve, so to speak, is just to kind of copy the font, but use my name and, you know, while still trying to look like a quote unquote pro wrestler, you know, with, with other various types of flashy gear. And, you know, as the years have progressed and as I've progressed, I've full on gone to now, you know, <laughs> wearing the, you know, the battle vest into the ring and just everything is pretty much heavy metal oriented on my, on my appearance. I'm all about it. I love it. Yeah, I love, like, at first I was like, no, this is a coincidence. But then uh, then there was, like, the Slayer logo, and I'm like, okay, no, this is there's no coincidence here. This is very intentional, and I'm, I'm super into it. So what came first yeah, was, I mean, oh, sorry, you, go ahead. You know, the, uh, oh, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, this, you know, the, the more, you know, the more you're yourself out there, the easier it is, and the funner it is, and the better it is, and, you know, just... You know, I I really just embraced that as I got older. That's, you know, something I love as much as I love wrestling. So I figured, you know, I'm going to fly the flag for it and use my platform and uh, make my voice heard about my love for hard rock and heavy metal. Yeah, that that's really cool. I thought, I, And also, it's kind of an area that not too many wrestlers have, have like, exploited for their personal characters. You know, there haven't been too many metal wrestlers. Uh, I can't really, like, Raven and Headbangers are the only two that really come to mind off the top yeah. of my head. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's few and far between, you know, guys that are into this type of music. Uh, you know, you, some that say, like, oh, I like, you know, Turbo Lover and I like Inter Sandman, but, you know, they're not, you know, they're not really, really, you know, fans kind of emerged in the culture. Um, right. But, yeah, there have been a couple like you've mentioned over the years. So like, do you, are there any wrestlers that you talk shop with that you like trade bands you check out and stuff like that? Any other fellow metalheads on the road? Yeah. I mean, over the years, there's been a couple. Um, first one that comes to mind is uh, Bubba Ray, Bully Ray, whatever you want to call him. He and I have actually, you know, we've, we've gone to, uh, we've gone to concerts together. Him and I went and saw uh, ACDC together in Florida and saw Black Label Society and, he and I are similar tastes in music. Um, obviously, Chris Jericho, uh, you know, we'll, we'll exchange tweets about music, or tweets, I'm sorry, texts about music and 
and stuff, new albums. Uh, when I was in TNA, Gunner, Gunner's a big metalhead and pretty knowledgeable, and we would we'd chat about it. And uh, recently, uh, in Ring of Honor, like uh, Kyle O'Reilly, you know, unbeknownst to me, was a bit of a, a metalhead and kind of liked some newer punk stuff. And I, um, you know, we would chat about it. But uh, you know, it, it kind of kind of ends there. You know, uh, a few other guys are somewhat knowledgeable, but uh, not not to the nerdy obsession uh, <laughs> level that I am. But oh yeah, over the years there's been you know it's kind of a it's kind of a, a natural crossover. You know, just heavy metal and pro wrestling uh, just kind of goes together a little bit. But yeah, there hasn't been that the real hardcore fans other than you know maybe five or ten guys over the years. Jerry Lynn also. Jerry Lynn was back. He was. Jerry Lynn was into like death metal, like real hardcore stuff back yeah. like, uh, when I first met him and stuff that I had never really even stumbled upon until, you know, talking to him and hearing some of these bands. And uh, and uh, I just saw him the other day and he told me he's listening to a lot of blues and stuff nowadays. So that's quite the turn. Oh, interesting. He's over the death metal. Yeah, yeah. I remember he came out to like a death metal song uh, yeah. in early Ring of Honor, too. That was pretty great. It was uh yeah, so that's that that's awesome, and and I definitely agree. There's a big crossover with wrestling and metal, and it's part of the reason that I started this podcast because I just noticed so many uh, of my metalhead friends are wrestling fans, and just how there's so many things in common. And, and I'm curious on, on your end, what came first, your discovery of metal or your discovery of pro wrestling? Um, just based on age, it was my discovery of pro wrestling. You know, I got big into pro wrestling when I was about seven years old, and that's right around the time WrestleMania two was about to happen, and WrestleMania one or one had just happened. And um, you know, I was always a fan of you know, in my house there was always the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, and you know, Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson and uh, Frank Zappa, and you know, just a whole different cornucopia of music playing. Um, so I was always exposed to that, which I'm very thankful for. But I got into wrestling when I was about seven years old and became completely obsessed with that. Always loved music. And then when Guns N' Roses broke, they, uh, you know, I I completely was enamored with them. And they were kind of my gateway uh, band into uh, into harder rock. Uh, I remember a friend of mine had a knew I was a big Guns N' Roses fan, and he, uh, he handed me a, a cassette tape, a recorded cassette tape, and he said, if you like Guns N' Roses, you'll love these guys. And it was Injustice for All by Metallica. And I put that in, and it was something like I'd never heard before. And you know, then you go down the you go down down the rabbit hole, and you start discovering everything. And uh, you know, I had, I, had, I had a buddy of mine. He had two older brothers, and when I'd go to his house, I remember going into his brother's room. Uh, a, it was disgusting. It stunk. But B, there was posters <laughs> of Maiden and Priest and Quiet Riot everywhere, and it kind of it kind of. Uh, freaked me out in a weird way but you know i was drawn to it i was like man there's there's this is this is cool because it's kind of scary and they'd be playing you know uh all those bands and uh so i i knew i knew what it was about but i never really got into it until i was about you know 11 years old 12 years old and then the rest is history yeah i mean i feel older siblings are the most responsible for getting kids into metal yeah half of metal heads wouldn't exist without an older brother being like put that down listen to this or an older sister for that yep. matter that's cool so what are some bands uh like what are some of your favorites obviously metallica you know the classics but like what are you jamming right now yeah man uh you know i'm, I'm a tried and true diehard metallica fan and i have been since i first heard them and 
you know, I'm one of those defenders of Metallica and I'll go to my grave defending them just because I think they're just an incredible band and what they've done for music and the genre. And I love them. I've been fortunate enough to meet two of them. And it's, uh, that's just, you know, they're always going to hold a special place in my heart. You know, aside from that, um, uh, you know, big Iron uh, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, uh, Black Sabbath, um, some of Ozzy's solo stuff, um, you know, Megadeth, all the big four, all the big four stuff yeah. I really dig. So more, uh, more you know, of the classic um, side of that. I guess now it is classic metal, but like more of the thrashier yeah. stuff. Sure, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, but also on the same token, you know, I've got really big Pantera, um, you know, uh, uh, newer stuff, um, you know, I'm, I guess it wouldn't be considered newer, but I'm really digging a lot of hate breed and Jamie Josta stuff. And, um, this last disturbed album I thought was pretty cool. Uh, um, you know, there's, uh, some obscure stuff. There's this German band called cadaver. I really like who's on nuclear blast record. And yeah. Scorpion Child. Awesome. Who, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're great. And, you know, just, uh, I try to, I try to, uh, expose myself to as much, music as I can it's you know really hard to keep up with and some of it really kind of starts running together but I I find myself going back to those you know those classic albums or those songs that are in my iPod that are just you know the tried and true songs that I grew up with and that just never get old absolutely I mean you know it's kind of I'm sure it's hard to keep up especially you know when your job requires you to travel so much you don't have time to like really sit down and, and like go discovering on blogs and stuff like that. So the music sort of has to come to you, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Like I have a buddy of mine in Chicago, Patrick, who runs challengers comics and he, uh, he's kind enough to drop box me, um, uh, new records all the time and, uh, stuff that he thinks I'll like, um, cause he has similar taste, which, you know, I listen to some of that and some of it, I'll go out and buy the album. Some of it, I'll just kind of, okay, give it a shot. But if it's not for me, um, you know, but I, yeah, I try to discover, if, you know, there's, you know, Gojira as a band I, I have gotten into in the last several months just by, you know, oh, yeah. word of mouth and by hearing that they're hearing that they're getting, they are, and they're, they're really great. Uh, Mastodon on the same token. I've been into them for the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, bands like that, just, you hear the, you hear these bands names and you hear other musicians talking about them so much and you think, well, there's something there and you listen to them and sure enough, you know, it's, it's, you know, right up my alley. While I may not like all their stuff, I like a good majority of it and enough to certainly go buy a record. Yeah, and Gojira, like, uh, I would say their best, the best version of Gojira is live Gojira because they are so massive live and it's such a presentation. Yeah, it's unlike any any modern band. I've heard that. And I'm, uh, they're actually going to be on the bill with Avenged and Metallica when I see them this summer. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Oh, that's great. Like, I'm so jealous because uh, nothing against Volbeat. Volbeat is on the East Coast uh, part of the tour. But I would uh, yeah. like, I would love to see Gojira, especially in that kind of like stadium setting, because their music is so heavy and, and huge. It belongs in that kind of setting, you know? Yeah, man, I'm I'm really looking for all the sites. I didn't find that out until the day I actually got the tickets. I got, I was able to get early, like a, a week advance tickets, and uh, I saw that they were playing. And I was pretty psyched, you know, because I've I mean, I've seen Metallica close probably 19 times, and I've seen Avenged probably three or four times, but have, ne have yet to see them. So I'm very much looking forward to that, you know, especially in that setting, like you said, and you can get there early enough, and you know, it's still going to be fairly empty because 
you know, let's just be honest, people are there for the main act. So, you know, to be able to get up there and really just take it in would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so you mentioned being a Metallica defender. And I, I was curious, uh, what are your thoughts on the new album that they released, Hardwired to Self-Destruct, a few months ago? Were you a fan of it? Well, I loved it, man. I loved it from the first time I heard Hardwired. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's their best uh, effort since the Black Album. Uh, you know, nothing against Load, Reload, St. Anger, and Death Magnetic. Cause, you know, I, I, I like a lot of songs on Load and Reload. I really do. And, uh, you know, St. Anger was what it was, and it really captured a, you know, a portrait of where the band was and their attitude at the time. Um, you know, some people don't like the sound of it, and I understand that, but, you know, I, it's very raw. You know, Do you ever actually cool. go back to it, though? Do you ever like, oh, I feel like listening to St. Anger today, or you've had your time with it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I've, uh, I remember maybe a year and a half ago, I just put that whole album on and just listened to it. And I was like, you know, I, I get it now. I, I totally get it. You know, that, and that was one I defended to. And I can't say I love the sound of it, but there's some songs that are just, you know, it's, and you watch some kind of monster, you just, you, you know where that angst and that emotion's coming from. And that's, you know, music's about emotion, dude. So I think that's pretty cool. And Death Magnetic had some awesome songs. Yeah. Um, I like uh, that. I, yeah, I like Death Magnetic. Yeah, you know that, that, that. Yeah, really took them back to their roots, you know, and they really, uh, you know, came out with something that people weren't expecting. And and I think I think uh, Hardwired has just you know not necessarily improved on all of that, but just you know perfected it because I just yeah. I really really dig this batch of songs and and what and how James is singing and just and everything about it. I agree with you completely. I feel like Death Magnetic was almost like a transitional album for them where like they were still trying to recapture their old sound and kind of m meld it with their modern sound and their modern playing. And they, they didn't quite figure it out on, on Death Magnetic, I feel, which is not to say they were yeah. there weren't catchy songs. There were a few songs uh, that, that constantly still get stuck in my head. Just randomly I'll wake up and, and have a... Uh, that was just your life stuck in my head or whatever. But this new sure. one, this new one from beginning to end, I thought it was excellent. And I agree with you. They've completely figured out what they should sound like today. And James's singing is fantastic. The drumming is great. I, I don't really have any, like the length of the album is perfect. It's just a really great album. And it for me, I was, I was totally one of those people that, it was kind of like, oh, the first four records is all that matter. All I'm going to listen yeah. to, all that matters. But like this, this new one like really, really surprised me, and I'm really happy about it because I think Metallica is such an important band for heavy metal, and I, I'm glad that the fans are kind of back on their side, so to speak. <laughs> you know, the, it's almost like this album was like a face turn for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you know what, man, and I've heard other people. Uh share those thoughts you know that the you know the uh you know they haven't made a good album since justice people or since you know master puppets and there's a lot of those people and uh, a lot of those people are even saying like wow this is you know this this harkens back to their roots more than any other album album they really got into it and uh and yeah and i, th I just think it's you know it's the evolution of metallica and, and one thing you know, they've always said they've, they're a band that plays the music they, they like, that they would listen to, which I think is admirable. And I think that's, if you're true to yourself, that's what you should do. And, and um, you know, maybe took the pressure off themselves and just, you know, said, we're just going to jam, you know, the stuff that, that we like and that, you know, and 
you know, the, the difference is they're Metallica and they make great music. And, and yeah, man, I, I really dig this. And I think it's, it's definitely going to go down. I think people are going to categorize this with, you know, the black album and the first four albums as, you know, definitely one of their best. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And, you know, it make, gets me excited to wonder about like, Oh, what could they, where could they possibly go from here on their next album? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're, uh, as, as hardcore metalheads, we're always looking for the next album, you know, and I'm already kind of <laughs> like, I'm in the same boat. I'm already thinking like, wow, I wonder what they're going to do, you know, wonder what they're going to do next. Yeah. Know, so they're going to be, <laughs> they're touring for another two years. When can they back in, when, yeah. when, when are they going to back in the studio <laughs> to, to start working? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. First, first I want to see them live again. Cause it's been a while, you know, let them do their thing. They yeah. tour like Northern band. They're going to tour the world, you know, three or four times over. And then, you know, and what they've already said, they're not going to wait another eight years to get in the studio, which is great news to anyone that, you know, wants new music from them. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I feel like it was just a unique set of circumstances that resulted in such a long, this was the longest delay between albums that they've ever had. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like they were just doing nothing like they were all vacationing, you know, they were, Yeah, you know, they were, they were still touring to a certain extent. They were doing the big four stuff. They were, you know, Doing they put the out movie. that movie. Yeah, they did Lulu. Yeah, you know, they did theoretically yeah, you know, put out a did you What did you think of Lulu? Yeah, I didn't, you know, uh, the thing about Lulu was I didn't, going into it, I, it wasn't something that I thought like, wow, I can't wait till Lulu comes out. Right, right. You know, I never thought that. It was just like, okay, they're doing this, um, you know, and this is a passion play. It's obviously something that is important to them. So, you know, as a fan, I'll check it out. I, You know, it was it was what it was. You know, I, I, I actually didn't even purchase it. I listened to it and uh, I was like, okay, you know, but I just, you know, it wasn't, wasn't for me, but I respect a band that's going to go out on a ledge like that and do, you know, do something that's from their heart that they're passionate about. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, it was just, it was Metallica playing, you know, while Lee Reed sang and, you know, I, it was what it was. I knew what it was going to be and didn't get, you know, I didn't get, you know, so upset and go write a blog or go write a comment <laughs> about how they're sold out and how they suck and how this, you know, like, you know, it, it was exactly what I was expecting it to be. Right on. And, uh, you know, just switching gears a little, you know, speaking of, of pretty metal fit dudes, I looked, I did a little research on you and I saw that you were trained by Killer Kowalski, a pretty metal yep. pro wrestler. What was it like? Uh, what was he like as a trainer? Uh, was, was he, was he scared? Was this a scary dude? He seems, he seems like a scary uh, dude to me. Well, yeah, you know, despite, despite the name, he was a, uh, he was an absolute angel and a sweetheart of a man. Mm -hmm. uh, as a pro wrestler, Phil Kowalski was one of the scariest villains of his time. Um, you know, and, and just to meet him, he's a very, very big man, very deep voice and a bit intimidating. Um, and he could get angry when he was training and, you know, that was also quite scary, but I got to know him on a, on a very, very personal level. And, you know, actually would, you know, he would come to my house to pick me up to uh, go to a wrestling class. And I would go to church with him on Sundays and just, you know, I think he respected the fact that I moved from Southern California all the way to Massachusetts to train specifically with him. So he really went out of his way to, to help me out. Like I said, and tote me around and, you know, you know, uh, even like going so far as to, you know, like, giving me extra training before and after class and oh, wow. just an angel of a man. Yeah. Just an absolute sweetheart of a man. 
But yeah, he could he could get upset, and he was not a fun person to be around when he was. But uh, you know, uh, Walter Kowalski, the man, was just a, a incredible human being. Uh, why did you decide uh, uh, to to go there? Why of all the wrestling schools, why Killer Kowalski School? Uh, you know, I I researched, and this was back in the '90s, and there wasn't you know the the swarm of information that there is now about everything. And, you know, to find a wrestling school, you had to, like, I sent away and got a couple of books on how to get into pro wrestling. And, you know, in those books, they had wrestling schools addresses. And so I remember, you know, looking through them and finding three of them that I thought would be good options. And those three were the WCW power plant, the heart dungeon in Calgary and Kowalski's, you know, just based on, you know, who they trained. And, you know, I knew Killer Kowalski had trained big John stud and, you know, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who was, you know, pretty hot in the WWF at the time. And um, I actually met Bret Hart and told, you know, and asked about getting into the business and, you know, where was a good place to get trained. And I thought for sure he would say the dungeon. And he recommended Kowalski School. So I was like, wow, okay. And he said, you know, he's turning out some really good students. So that was all I needed because Bret Hart was one of my favorites and one of my heroes. So, you know, that was that. I saved up the money and, you know, did my research and just, you know, set my goal on going there. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of, kind of sucked being a kid from Southern California that it was in the complete opposite part of the country. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I figured, I figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And so I was all in and, uh, that's how the decision was made. How did you get in touch with Brad Hart at that time? Just, just through an autograph signing, just oh, meeting, like, you know, going, going as a mark and just meeting, <laughs> you know, and, and, and talking to, you know, just, yeah. Wow. That, uh, that was very honest yeah. of him. Yeah, yeah, certainly was, you know, and like, uh, and uh, yeah, and I thought, you know, knowing now what I know about how the the heart camp was run, I could understand why he didn't necessarily recommend that. But, uh, and then, um, and then, yeah, years later, I'd met him also when I was just starting in the business, and I told him that he'd recommended quality school, and I went, and I was now wrestling, and thanked him, and, you know, he was said. You know, he said, yeah, he used to recommend Kowalski School, but Helmsley pissed him off, so now he doesn't or something. He was, wasn't in a good mood that day. But <laughs> I've, I've since had conversations with him, and, yeah, I was very, very grateful for, for that. Did you did you always know you wanted to be a wrestler, or was it kind of like, oh, I'm either going to be a wrestler in a band, or, or, or when, when was that decision made? It was a dream. It was a dream the same way as being in a band was. You know, it was a, you know, it was, wow, that would be cool to do, Uh and I was so obsessed with wrestling. It was like, I thought of nothing else, you know, so much so that like when it came time to, you know, in junior year, senior high school and kids are making plans to go to college or do whatever, you know, I'm st stuck there going, uh Oh, you know, I, but I want to be a pro wrestler. Like, how's this going to work? You know? And like, you know, I, I almost signed up for the Navy and I was, you know, just like in the back of my mind, it was like, you really want to do this, man. You got to do it. And you got to go all in and, you know, at least give yourself the shot. You know, and just that started that started me on a path of everything from trying to gain size and weight training and just researching the business and seeing how I have to go about it. And um, it, I'm, I'm blessed and lucky enough that, it, you know, my dream became true, you know, after a lot of hard work and blood, sweat and tears and all those other cliches we throw out there. Uh, it was a dream, you know, and just like being in a band, you know, I always wanted to, you know, I always wanted to either play guitar or do something in a band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and now you're doing that as well, and we're going to talk about that in, in, in a few minutes. But just to talk a little bit more about uh, your wrestling stuff, you you really I feel like the 
first time I heard of you was was in TNA uh, with uh, X Division, and I feel like mm-hmm. in, in the mid two thousands, TNA had unquestionably the best ro- active roster in pro wrestling in terms of work rate, and, and you had so many other guys. Like, what what was the vibe like? back then in, in that locker room with all all the young guys, all, all the people that are now kind of, all of you have now established yourselves and are, you know, these veterans of the sport, but like everyone was so hungry and, and out there to prove themselves. What, what was it like? Like, what was the feeling in the mid 2000s back there? I agree, man. It was, it was the place to be, I thought. And um, it was, uh, I have to compare it. I always say TNA was then what NXT is now, you know, the cool, spot where the fans you know the repeat same fans would come over and over and just were totally into the product and you look at the roster we had and you know the from you know Samoa Joe and AJ Styles Chris Daniels myself Chris Saban you know America's Most Wanted and Bobby Roode and uh, just outstanding wrestlers you know and uh and we were doing something different and it was cool and it was fresh and the X Division was something different and you know, we'd started establishing ourselves and it was just an alternative, especially in a time when the business needed it the most. And we all thought, you know, we thought we were going to be there forever. Um, when I say we, I'm talking of my, you know, core group of friends, you know, back in the day being Chris Daniels and AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. And, you know, we thought we'd be lifers there and we thought we'd be running the place one day. And it's just, you know, it ended up going in a different direction, but we've all, you know, we've all done okay as well. So, not too concerned about that, but yeah, it was, you know, some fond memories and there were some really good times. And it was, a, it was, a, like you said, it was, it was the hottest act around for a while. Yeah. And it was, it was honestly, at such a dark time for wrestling as a fan. I can say, you know, it was right after WCW and ECW went out of business and, you know, before kind of the proliferation of video on the internet too. So there wasn't many places to watch wrestling and, you know, some people uh, weren't into what WWE was was doing at the time, which to me was it was honestly like a, almost another dark period for them. Like right before the Attitude Era, it really felt like yeah. the same, just because they were just the people they were bringing up were like they they just couldn't work. You know, there weren't good matches. It was all about the storylines, and the storylines weren't even that good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, and yeah, TNA brought that athleticism, especially with the advent of the X Division and. You know, just really brought something different to the table. Yeah, and like, so with the X Division, clearly WWE saw something in there because I remember that they were, there were like, there was talk that they were going to start a, a cruiserweight division as well because WWE had some decent wrestlers. They had like Paul London and uh, uh, Nunzio and stuff. And, and you went over there for a little bit, right? And yep. Uh, so there was a rumor at the time, and if you don't want to answer this, feel free not to, that uh, they wanted you to cut your hair, and that's why uh, you. Uh, that's like that was the the final straw or something, and you quit over that. Was that true? That wasn't the. Uh, they asked me to do it, and I said no. But that wasn't the final straw. Okay. Okay. They, they could have asked. They could have asked me to change my tights, and I wouldn't have because you know it was like it's like oh you know cut your hair and look like everybody else on the roster, and I was like no, you know like you you know and looking back that took a lot of balls. But yeah. you know, one thing I've always I've always done is stand up for myself when a lot of people don't in this especially in this business. A lot of people just become sheep and corporate yes men kiss ass. And uh, I, I was never gonna do that. And if I felt strongly about something, even something as stupid as hair, I was gonna stick to my guns, you know. I was like, No, I you brought me in, you know, 
looking the way I do, uh, you know, now you want me to turn into like pretty much anyone else off the assembly line that you bring up and, you know, and, and, you know, it'd been, it'd been brewing at that point. There was just, you know, I found out that I just didn't like the business part of it and the, it became a job for me. And, you know, and that's, that's a hundred percent on me. That's no fault to the WWE. Right. But, I was going to say, like, um, I'm sure getting to WWE was, was like a lifelong dream in some ways. And then sure. when, once you got there, you realize, Oh, it's not necessarily what I expected. Right. Like it's a little at, different. Yeah. At that, at that time for me, I just wasn't, you know, and, uh, and I've, I've said this in the past, I just wasn't mature enough as a, as a athlete or as a, as a man to be there. I wasn't ready. You know, I wasn't ready to treat it like a business, you know, um, but, uh, you know, that happened and, you know, it's, and I, I recovered from that. It's fine. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of myself for even, you know, at a younger age, standing, standing by my guns and sticking out for myself. Yeah. Not a lot of people uh, would do that. And, and, no. and so when you left WWE, was it, were you, were you still intent on making it work or was it kind of like, well, th that was it? <laughs> Like, what was your feeling like at that moment when, when, when you were kind of coming back into the Indies? Well, I had, I had naively thought that I could just return right to TNA because I had had several people in the office told me that that would be the case. Uh, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, you always have a spot back here. Well, that wasn't the case because certain people's feelings were hurt and, you know, certain people were upset that I left in the first place, even though I couldn't understand why they'd be upset. They, you know, I, who could blame me for leaving? But, uh, you know, so it took me a long time to get back to TNA. You know, it took me a good almost a year to get back. And when I got back, I had to eat shit for a while. And, uh, but, uh, you know, that was always my goal was to get back on television somewhere and do, you know, and hopefully TNA was a good fit for me because, you know, I knew the management, I knew the roster, I was familiar with it. People knew me. And, you know, so when I got back there, I started at the very bottom again and had to, work my way up to establish myself and I did just that. And then you did eventually cut your hair. What, what for you, what, when was the moment that like, all right, as much of a metalhead as I am, I got to get rid of these locks. <laughs> yeah, that, that was more, that was more like, it was uh, almost approved. Like it wasn't about that. Like, right. I'll cut the hair, man. You know, like, so I cut it and I grew back and I cut it again and I grew it back, you know, and I, see. I, I cut it a few years ago and I haven't grown it back yet. Maybe someday, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah, it just it was just another one of those, you know, sticking my middle finger up to the establishment moments. Like, dude, you know, I'll cut my hair tomorrow if I want to. It's you know, I I, I control it's your what decision I do. ultimately. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to be told what to do, you know. And that's like I said, I've lost jobs, I've lost friendships, I've lost, you know, I've lost shoot jobs back in the day because of that. Because you know, sometimes I'm stubborn to a fault, and, you know, a bit rebellious by nature. Right on. And uh, I have to say, you know, uh, with you and Christopher Daniels, the tag team that you guys formed, first as Bad Influence and then as The Addiction, you guys r really, uh, and this was kind of at the time where there was like a whole, you know, new, maybe, I, I don't know if generation is the term, but like a bunch of new guys coming in and like they're becoming the hot stuff and you guys kind of were like, hey, you know, don't forget who's been here. <laughs> and, and I really yeah. like you guys had some amazing matches with everybody. And so what was it like, did that feel good at that point to kind of like, in a sense, prove your worth, be like, yeah, there's a reason, you know, I've been in the business this long. Yeah. I mean, you know, just, you know, when we first started the team, we knew it would work just based on, you know, the fact that we were very good friends and our chemistry in the ring as opponents was great. And the landscape of TNA at the time, 
especially with tag teams, they just, you know, there was nothing going on. And we knew we were, you know, as talented, if not more talented than everyone, you know, that was involved in the tag team division. So we, uh, you know, we pitched it and, you know, we, we weren't even supposed to, we weren't supposed to last, you know, the, the original idea wasn't for us to even last at all, but, you know, we just caught fire and, you know, the stuff we were doing in the ring was so entertaining and the stuff we were doing in terms of vignettes or backstage promos or any promos just were really, really, uh, you know, just really engaging and really hot and really getting great reviews from fans and management alike. And it just, you know, and I still think to this day that they didn't even let us, you know, they gave us the ball to an extent, but they took it out of our hands immediately because we could have done so much more than we did there. Would it be the first time I heard that about TNA? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. And it's too bad, you know, and it's nothing. We would always be told, you know, you guys are, you guys are bulletproof, you're entertaining, you know, you, you, you guys are, you can't be touched. And it's like, okay, if we're so, we're so bulletproof. Imagine if you put a little steam behind us, how, you know, the things we could do. But, you know, that's, that's in the past. It is what it is. Yeah, I don't want to rag on, on TNA too much, but I, I just, uh, yeah. you know, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of those people, you know, I'm one of those people that, like, if some, if, there's a place for people to work. I hope that place succeeds as much as possible, you know, but Certainly. Certainly. Uh, we do, man. yeah, it's, it, I think it's, 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 it's dumb to, to w- wish someone had a business. It's ridiculous. Uh, but sure. at the same, like at the same time, I, for me as a, as a fan, I would always want, you know, like for, as a fan, seeing how it, they, the poor businesses decisions they would make uh, for someone working there, and you seeing that as well, is it kind of like a red flag? Like I need to get out of here or like, I'm not even going to worry about that. I'm just going to f- focus on my job. Like how do how do you, how did you deal with all the news about like the backstage bad business decisions that was going on? I honestly never did worry about that until like maybe in the last six months there, I, you know, because I had been hearing that stuff since day one, you know, and it was after, you know, and it would kind of, freaked me out a little bit at first and after a while it was just like people just you know that's that's the thing to do is just bury this company and talk bad about it um but just you know in my last six months when i really saw that the writing on the wall was bad and there was just shifts in management and just the, some of the stupid decisions that were being made behind the scenes and uh you know i just uh, i knew i remember very january 2014 being in england saying you know, for the first time ever, just to myself, I don't want to work here anymore. You know, and when my contract's up, I'm done regardless. Like, there's nothing they could do. I just, you know, maybe I'd been there too long. And I just the new regime at that point, what I thought was just really, really, just really making some horrendous decisions. And, um, you know, and that's when it started to affect me. But before that, I, I never really, you know, gave that any attention because I had heard it for so long. Right. And now you're you've been in Ring of Honor now for a while, and it started with you and Daniels uh, as a tag team, and now you've you've joined the Bullet Club. I have to imagine that the stability in Ring of Honor is much more evident than than in, in TNA. Yeah, man, and you look at the roster that we got right now, and it's untouchable, and it's uh, and it's kind of been that way since we first got there, 2014. Yeah, and I would argue. Uh, you know, you were saying that like NXT is kind of what TNA was. I would argue that Ring of Honor right now is in a sense what impact should have been <laughs> like sure, absolutely like what Especially, they should yeah, have worked I mean, towards because yeah you know that's a good point and if uh you know and if if, if um if ring of honor had the 
stable uh, reach that TNA had when they were on Spike. Who knows what Ring of Honor could have done? Right. You know, Ring of Honor's got a great partner with Sinclair Broadcasting right now and been very successful. But yeah, Ring of Honor's in-ring product, especially, I mean, it's kind of always been their go-to is their in-ring product. And right now, I don't think it can be touched. Uh, I think last, uh, you guys were in like uh, uh, the addiction, you guys were in the New Japan Tag League and you did some Japan shows. Was that your first time going over to Japan like a year or two ago? No, yeah, we went, we, 2015, we did the Tag League tournament. Uh, November 2015. No, I had gone to Japan first in 2001 with a group called Zero One, oh, okay. which was run by uh, Hashimoto. And uh, yeah, so I'd gone over there for a couple of years. Um, and then I'd gone back previously with uh, Wrestle One, which is Muda's company. And then when I joined Ring of Honor, I've gone over to New Japan a few times. Now, like for me, that always seems like, like a, a huge goal to attain for a wrestler to have a successful tour. Now you're, you've had a few successful tours and like each one, it sounds like a bigger promotion that you work for. Is it kind of like another notch on the belt? Like, yeah, I did Japan. Yeah. I mean, it was cool to, you know, like I've been to Japan, like I said, several, you know, five or 10, probably 10 times, but to go to for new Japan was definitely cool and a feather in the cap and something that, you know, that was uh, kind of on the bucket list and, you know, I'm glad I was able to do it, you know, and hopefully I'm able to go back. Right on. And so now let's just, you know, talk about your band, because I think this is so cool that uh, in addition to being a wrestler, you you, you play bass, right? That, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you play bass, and the yep. band is called Vex Temper. Uh, when yep. did you start playing bass? I started playing bass guitar right after I graduated high school. I, um, I always just loved the sound of the bass guitar, and uh, luckily enough, my grandfather was a musician in Las Vegas and yeah, and I had uh, went to visit him and told him that I was interested in picking up the bass guitar and and um he was you know he was thrilled about that and so he brought me into the other room and opened up a uh case and there was a nineteen sixty six Fender Mustang bass guitar and he gave it to me right there on the spot, which was you know, I still have to this day. Uh and I cherish it. I'll never obviously never get rid of it. But yeah, an original nineteen sixty six Fender Mustang bass and started learning how to play and, and taught myself, man. And I learned on, you know, reading a little bit of music, mostly tablature, reading, you know, heavy metal books and Metallica books and learning how to play those songs. And, uh, you know, just started jamming with some buddies. And at the same time, I was also, you know, getting into the business. So that took precedence, but always, always played. And, uh, you know, it was kind of always something I did outside of wrestling, uh, you know, uh, but wrestling, obviously, I got very, very busy over the course of the last 19 years, and you start traveling, and you're barely home, and, um, you know, so I couldn't necessarily play music in a band or, you know, or do anything very, very serious. I just always played, uh, you know, up until the last several years when, you know, Bex Temper was formed. So how did that happen? How did that come together, Bex Temper? Well, basically, I'd moved, uh, my wife and I had moved back to California from, we were living in Florida. I uh, bought a place out here and knew some buddies that jammed and went over and just literally with the thought of, I, you know, I want to go jam with some guys and um, our drummer, Justin, his place, he has everything set up there. So we go jam. And you know, after a while we you know, write a couple of original songs and they started to sound pretty cool and do some covers and write another original. And they go, wow, we might have something here. And, you know, we just, you know, okay, well let's, let's do this every week, twice a week. Let's, you know, let's keep going, keep going, keep going. 
you know, we had a line, you know, one lineup change, which uh, which happened a couple years ago, but uh, it, it just it just snowballed into something where you know we realized, wow, we you know we like doing this. We we booked some gigs, we played some gigs, we started having fun. Like I said, we had you know seven really cool songs that we had written, and it was like, well, you know, let's let's do this. And so everyone just put all their effort into it, and we got in there and recorded these songs. And I'm in the process of like released two of them, and the album's out <laughs> April seventh. So it's just uh, it's it's uh, it's super super cool uh, for me and for those guys because you know they're all incredibly talented musicians and it's cool for me at this stage of my career to to do something music related and get that out there and use wrestling what I've built in wrestling as a platform to show it to all these people and let them listen to it and, you know and see this other side of my creativity. Yeah, uh, and you guys, uh, Vex Temper does the Addictions theme song, and I. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, when when uh, you got Ring of Honor came to New York, at the at the baseball stadium in the summer, uh, you guys were the first ones out. I remember, and that the rest of that week, I had that riff, the like all week I had it stuck in my head. It's such a catchy riff. That's an earworm, man. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that, and that's a uh, and that's something cool that you know when Chris and I first turned heel, uh, we needed new music, and I had the Ring of Honor. They they sent us this site, and they said pick a song from this page, and it was just this data bank of music, and and I went screw that, like, I, and then so I called them, and I was like, hey, I have a band. I was like, if I were to write something and record it, could we use it? And they they said sure, uh, you know, we have to have it by this day, so. That night, I went and sat down with a guitar, which I don't normally do because I play bass, and wrote that, wrote the riff and wrote the song, came up with the melody and the lyrics, and gave it to my guys and said, "Hey, man, would you guys be willing to do this?" And they were thrilled to do it. You know, to get to get their get our music out there, and and uh, and then that song is pretty different from you know the rest of our stuff, uh, as people will find out when they get the album. We threw it on there because it is, you know. I think that's what we say like that's our stripper song or that's our most accessible song. You know, it's, it's got that greasy, it's got that greasy little riff that is a bit of a of a of a, of a earworm, you know. But uh, yeah, it was cool. You know, it's I'm, I'm, it's still surreal to walk out to you know a riff that I wrote, lyrics I wrote, and it's it's pretty cool, man. That's awesome. And so you said the album's coming out April tenth, April seventh. Oh, April seventh. And uh, yep. where where could people p- pick that up? Well, it's going to be released April 7th digitally, so you'll be able to get it on all, you know, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Google Play, all that stuff. And we are going to have physical copies uh, as well, which probably will be available on our website, which is under construction and should be up and rolling by then, and live gigs. And uh, I'm a huge fan of of actual physical music, so, you know, we've partnered up with a, a buddy I've known for years that's doing the actual physical disc for us, and uh, it's going to be sweet too. And, um, yeah, again, it's another bucket list thing. Just, I, I, well, I, you know, I wrote and recorded an album with my buddies and my band and, and, uh, and, you know, we're going to see where this goes and we have no, no signs of stopping, man. We're just, we're going to keep you know, trying to book up as many gigs as I can for this summer when I'm not wrestling and, and keep it rolling. Cause it's, I'm having too much damn fun, man. That, that sounds, that sounds like a really fun time. You got to connect with Chris Jericho and do a, a Fozzy Vex temper tour. <laughs> yeah, we got to get on that level first, man. Yeah, he's sure. you know he's definitely uh, you know he's definitely you know uh, shut up a lot of naysayers who thought that his, you know his band was just a gimmick and something that 
you know, it wasn't something that he was super serious or passionate about. You know, you turn that into a incredibly successful band and sure. I would absolutely follow suit on that. You know, I, I, uh, you know, put as much time and effort and love into this as I do into professional wrestling. So, you know, I'm glad that that's finally starting to pay off. Right on. We're going to play a song uh, from Vex Temper on the podcast. I'm going to play uh, MPH. Uh, ah, at the end awesome, of this man. Good choice. First single we released. There we go. Uh, Frankie, thank you so much. Oh, and I should mention uh, you're going to be in Vegas Friday for the uh, yep. Ring of Honor 15th anniversary pay-per-view. Now, I, I see that you, you don't have a match announced, but the Bullet Club presence, I'm guessing, will be felt at the Ring of Honor. Pay-per-view. Yeah, I, we we up we will be in the house. I uh, I uh, will make my presence felt. I can't really go into what I will be doing, but uh, it will be sweet. And uh, yeah, it'll be a good show. A good two days of tapings in Las Vegas. Perhaps it'll be too sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Right on, Frankie. Thank you so much for taking some time and talking to me. This was a, a great chat. I, I loved talking about metal, talking about wrestling. And anytime I could bring the two together, I'm all about it. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Anytime you want to chat metal, let me know. Great interview with Frankie. Thank you so much to him for taking the time to do that. I'm excited to watch the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. It's this Friday. The big match is going to be the Hardys versus the Young Bucks versus Rapungi Vice in a triple threat street fight for the Ring of Honor tag team titles. And Frankie Kazarian doesn't have a match on the card, but what's he going to be doing? We'll see. Before we play Vex Temper, quick reminder. First of all, thank you as always for following us, for following along. You can follow on Twitter at Squared Circle Pit, no E in Circle, or Facebook.com slash Squared Circle Pit. My social media handle is Rob Injection. And again, five PWG DVDs can be yours. All you got to do is cut a promo on Squared Circle Pit. Do so by going to mentalinjection.net slash Squared Circle Pit and leaving a voicemail with your promo. I look forward to the best ones. All right, here is Vex Temper, and here is their single, MPH. 